0: This morning's reading is from the book of Ruth as we've been reading from chapter 4, 1 to 13. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, sit down. Come, Sorry, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he we went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, "Sit here." And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, "Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. If I thought I should, br- I thought I should bring the matter." out, to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now, in the earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalising transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Killian, and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead and with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the hometown, his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, so that he took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son.
1: Amen. It would be good to keep your Bible or device open uh, as we go through this passage. Uh, I will put it up on the the main verses up on the screen if that is helpful. And I do apologise for those at home because I know the screen can be hard to read. So it would probably be most helpful for you to have a Bible in your lap. Uh, But let me pray. As we get into this passage, Uh, dear Lord, as we have uh, followed uh, this story uh, of Ruth and Boaz, uh, Lord, we pray that we might learn from it, that you've included this in your word, uh, that we might understand your character uh, and who we are to be as your people. And so, Lord, I pray that we are challenged and encouraged by this chapter today. Amen. Duty and honour are two words that are decidedly out of fashion at the moment. Yeah, as values, we like them in our movies. And so one of my favourite movies, which I say about a lot of movies, uh, is Saving Private Ryan, uh, which is about a a band of soldiers uh, who are out to save one brother after four other brothers have died. Uh, Or perhaps uh, a little closer to home for some people today, it's personified in Captain America. Uh, And in fact, the entire sort of superhero genre. Uh, The hero sacrificing themselves for the team and paying whatever cost is necessary to do the honourable thing and to get the job done. Uh, But in reality, in real life, Uh, duty and honour often come at a high price and so very quickly they get relegated to the back seat. Uh, We certainly want other people uh, to do their duty and to act honourably but when it comes to us and when the pressure is on the temptation is to turn very quickly inward uh, to our sense of happiness and security and to satisfy whatever urges we might have. And as the you know, rationale goes, and you know, if urges are natural and all natural things are good, then it's important that we're true to ourselves and do those things that feel natural. But of course we express those feelings and those values in terms of needs and rights and fairness and safety. And we become very apt at justifying even our worst behaviour as good and noble and honourable, uh, because it all fits within this framework of you know, self-esteem and self-preservation and self-fulfillment. And so if you were walking down the street and you saw someone getting beaten up and robbed, then we think to ourselves, well, there's no point in me getting involved because then I'll just get beaten up and robbed and then everyone loses. And so I will do the sensible thing and save everyone lots of pain, namely me, And just keep on going. Well, today we get to almost the end of our story. And it's all about duty and honour. But let me give a slightly extended plot so far. See if we can tie all the pieces together. So, if our story was a play, then in Act 1, it describes the downfall of the family. So, Elimelech's family with Naomi move to Moab because there's a famine... And so they're looking for work and food. And after they arrive, Elimelech dies. Uh, Their two sons also die. And so in the end, Naomi returns to Israel, uh, bitter and humiliated. Uh, She has no husband, no sons, and very little prospect for her family line. Uh, But in amongst all of this tragedy, we see this wonderful character of Ruth who is Naomi's now widowed Moabite daughter-in-law. And in worldly terms, she makes the completely irrational decision to stay with Naomi. And so at the beginning of the story we read, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Uh, It's a a wonderful picture of devotion and honour. But it it is an honourable decision, but it's a little bit like sitting with someone who's trapped in a burning building. You know, it's an exceptional expression of love and compassion and mercy, but in the end, inevitably, it's going to end badly. Or at least that's what it looks like in Chapter 1. But then in our second act, uh, we see this glimmer of hope. So Ruth goes out to find food and she ends up gleaning barley in the field that belongs to Boaz, who is a relative of the family. And very quickly, we discover that Boaz is a really good bloke. So he greets his workers in the name of the Lord. He makes sure that his workers leave just a little bit behind so that Ruth you know, can glean that little bit extra. He provides a meal for her and he guarantees her protection. Uh, And there's no expectation of anything in return. You know, so often when we use power, the person with the power uses it for their own benefit. Uh, But for Boaz, he uses his power for the benefit of the other, to restore uh, Ruth and to build her up and to provide security for her. So Boaz is this incredible example of someone who is living out their faith. Uh, In Hebrew, uh, the idea is this is called hesed. Uh, It's the idea of using power for the good and the benefit and the thriving of the other. And so Boaz is living out the character of God because most often that word, that concept of hesed is used to describe God and how he treats his people. And then uh, last week we see this beautiful third act and it's this courtship scene. And it's sort of filled with sort of sexual tension. You know, Ruth dresses up, she wants to be attractive and, you know, she's making herself, you know, known that she is ready and open to a marriage invitation. Uh, she, become, she comes sort of discreetly in the evening Uh, But there's no sense of impropriety, there's integrity here. Ruth isn't trying to sexually manipulate Boaz and Boaz isn't trying to take advantage of the anonymity of the moment. And in the same way that Ruth seeks refuge under the wing of God, she now seeks refuge with Boaz. And this whole account doesn't exactly sort of scream romance, you know, it ain't song of songs, right? Uh, But you do get this lovely warmth and affection in this interaction, that she's come forward, she says she's open to to marriage, she's open to be married to Boaz, and he has responded and accepted. Uh, But this marriage is more than just about love. I think we've, most, most of us would have heard the expression, you know, to kill two birds with one stone. Well, this marriage has the opportunity to, like, massacre a whole flock. Okay, in, in this one moment uh, that if Ruth chooses to marry Boaz as opposed to uh, another bloke, then not only will she get a wonderful husband and, and Boaz a, a wonderful wife, But she has the opportunity to also restore the family name and the family honour and to secure the family land. But of course, just when we think the deal is done, okay, cue the music, happy feelings, the whole story sort of comes to this screeching halt when we discover that in fact there is another guardian redeemer. So if Ruth wants to not just get married but, but save the family then this bloke gets first dibs. And and at this point, you know, we kind of go, you know, why does Boaz have to be such a good bloke? You know, this is a time where everyone is doing what they think is right under the sun. They've, Naomi and Ruth, they've been back for months. There's been no guardian redeemer stepping in before now. You know, why doesn't he just close the deal, you know, and ask for forgiveness later? In fact, probably no one will even notice. But for Boaz, it's a matter of honour and duty and the law. You know, no one can accuse Boaz of cutting another man's grass. You know, so often we do what we want to do and then justify it after, don't we? Uh, last week I made the, the comment at our 5.30 service that I used to buy and sell houses. Uh, It was actually not true. Uh, I was a real estate agent, so I worked in property, and I did broker buying and selling houses, but I'm not actually so secretly rich. Um, Sorry about that. (laughs) Sorry to mislead. Uh, But one of the things with with being involved in any type of business, and particularly one where it involves closing a deal, the temptation is to cut corners just to get it done. You know, perhaps leave out some of the details which might, you know, prevent it coming together. Perhaps embellish things that little bit more to make it that much more appealing. Uh, That's our temptation. Uh, But that is not Boaz. So beginning with our passage today, uh, Boaz went up to the town gate, so this is Ruth 4, and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz says, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Now, some of the subtleties of this interaction get sort of lost in translation. So our storyteller, the narrator, has chosen to leave out the name of this guardian redeemer. Uh, and that's no accident. He, he could have used the more personal language of, say, you know, brother or kinsman, you know, kinsman or, or relative or something like that. But literally, it just translates... So-and-so. So, so-and-so came along. And, and it's, it's a little bit of a backhanded swipe at this bloke, and, and we'll see why in a moment. You know, so, Boaz pulls so-and-so aside, and then he gets ten of the elders from the town. So, this is a legal situation, and he wants them to be witnesses. And he begins by laying down the situation in terms of his role as a kinsman redeemer. Now the legal situation is a little bit obscure but we get at least some insight from the book of Leviticus which we read earlier. So if one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. So we're not quite sure whether she's on the brink of selling it or whether she's sort of selling the right to it but we've got a block of land and it's about to leave the family. And so now... So-and-so has an opportunity to redeem the land, to keep it in the family, to keep the family name. And from his perspective, this is a good deal. Uh, honour is easy when it's convenient. He's going he's to get land, which will you know, produce a profit for him. Uh, it'll increase his prestige. And there is no particular personal cost. But, of course, the deal isn't quite done because it comes as a package verse 5. On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you'll also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with the property. Uh, and again, culturally this is all very odd to us because we don't, I don't think we've got the same appreciation of family name. Uh, perhaps we, if we lived in Europe and we had a, a family coat of arms uh, or some tapestry which showed, you know us to our 15th generation, we might have a greater sense of family line. Uh, but we as Australians don't particularly have that, I don't think. Uh, although we're beginning to like the whole genealogy thing. But, but again, I think it's, if we look at Deuteronomy this time, it helps us understand the cultural issues that are going on. So it says in Deuteronomy 25, uh, if brothers are living together, and brother can also be kinsman, and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfil the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out of Israel. Uh, so we've got a matter of duty and honor. And this is so serious A few verses later, this is what happens if he fails to fulfill his duty. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, not quite sure how she manages that, but uh, spit in his face and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. So that's Absolute public humiliation for someone who will not honour their duty to their family. So our Mr. So-and-so, he's willing to redeem the land, but he's not willing to redeem the family name by marrying Ruth. Uh, And it's a very pragmatic response. If he marries Ruth and Ruth has children, then his inheritance, the inheritance to his children, becomes in jeopardy. And so he chooses his own financial safety and security over honour and duty. You know, it's it's expressed as he cannot do it, but really it's a choice, isn't it? And often we do that. We express things as absolutes. I can't do this. I can't do that. But often it comes down to choice, that we don't want to do it. It's inconvenient to do it. It's painful to do it. And so Boaz closes the deal. Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Malon. I have acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from amongst his family or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. And the elders at the gate are pretty impressed. Uh, with what Boaz is doing and really he's set up in contrast to our so-and-so who does nothing and so you know they are praising him and we you know we hope that your family will become like one of the famous founding families of Israel you know Boaz isn't a perfect man he's a man so he's clearly not perfect Uh, but he is a man of character Uh, he wants to honour Ruth He wants to honour the family. He wants to honour God. And so I think the challenge for us is, is honour something we aspire to when we think about our own character? Because, you know, going back to the beginning, I think we like that idea of honour, uh, particularly when it aligns with our own desires and aspirations. But in real life, it's easier to be like so-and-so. You know, it might be the temptation to ignore or excuse that bad behaviour, you know, that, that person being abused on the street or the bully at work or the, the bully at school. Yeah, and we're tempted to let it go because we're trying to preserve our own career aspirations or our own, you know, social standing. You know, we don't want to stand out from the herd because we feel we, we need the herd uh, to succeed in life. Uh, and so we do nothing. Yeah, it's a safe thing, but it's not the honourable thing. Uh, Yeah, it might be the temptation to dishonour our marriage vows because the relationship isn't what it once was. Uh, Or perhaps there's someone else who we just find more attractive. And so we're tempted to choose opportunity and perceived happiness over duty and honour and responsibility. Uh, It might be as simple as letting our yes be yes and our no be no. You know, honour doesn't wait to see if a better offer comes along. You know, honour doesn't change its mind if a better offer does come along. Uh, There are are going to be times when we won't be able to keep our word. Uh, But even then, people should know us so well for our honour and integrity that when there are exceptions, they can understand that those exceptions are for a good reason. And I think in our individualistic, it's all about me and my life culture, honour cares about how our choices impact other people and the reputation of other people. How do my choices impact the reputation of our family? If you're a school student, how does your your behaviour impact the reputation of your school? Uh, Most significantly, how does our behaviour impact the reputation of Christ? When people look at us, do we bring honour to God? And so finally we see this whole picture coming together. The land of Elimelech is restored, the family name is preserved. Uh, We discover that Ruth was married to Malon. Uh, As a little side sort of detail. We've got Ruth and Boaz becoming husband and wife. Uh, We have a child. Uh, It's this wonderful coming together. But it has been a messy journey. And certainly at the beginning, it looked like there was absolutely no hope of this being the end. Uh, but all the way through, we've been seeing God's hand behind it all. Uh, so Naomi returned to Israel because she heard the Lord had come to the aid of his people by, by providing food for them. And when Ruth went to glean in one of the fields, it turned out it was wor- she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, And when it came to closing the deal, Mr. So-and-so just happened to come along at just the right moment. You know, none of these events are particularly dramatic in their own right. And really, just from an observer perspective, they look like a pleasant set of fortunate coincidences. Uh, but they're all working together, threading together, to achieve God's desired end. Uh, And in fact, there's an even bigger end at stake than the restoration of this family. And that's what we see sort of next week. You know, this genealogy kind of just looks like a bit of historical trivia sort of tacked on the end, Uh, but it actually reveals how this lovely but actually pretty insignificant story of Ruth and Boaz fits into this much bigger picture of God redeeming Israel And an even bigger picture still of God redeeming all of humanity. Uh, But for today, our take home is, don't be a so-and-so. Because as Christians, uh, we are called to live with honour. So let me pray. Uh, Dear Lord, we do thank you for your grace and mercy to us. We thank you that right through history, uh, you've been working according to your purposes and your plans... Uh, to save humanity and so Lord we recognise that we are part of that. Uh, But Lord today as we reflect on this passage I pray that we might be challenged and encouraged to be people of honour. Uh, Help us to look at our life honestly, uh, critically, uh, reflectively. Help us to see uh, where we have failed and help us to have the courage to act with honour uh, the next time the opportunity comes along. Amen.